Welcome to More Than Words, a podcast about treating the whole child brought to you by the Reading and Language Learning Center. I'm your host, Tristan, and today I'm joined by special education attorney, Kimberly Glassman, to discuss the role of an education attorney. Hi, Kim. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm great. We're excited to have you here. Well, thanks for having me. Of course. So I'm going to start off just by having you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Sure. So I have been working in special education law since 2005. I started off at Legal Aid in Prince George's County, where it was one of many, many, many things that we did there, the Legal Aid Bureau. And I went from there into private practice. I was at a small firm in D.C., then transitioned to a sole practitioner for about 10 years. Um, And now I've been at my current firm for two years, practicing in D.C. and Maryland, uh, primarily in the D.C. metro area and a bit of northern Virginia. Awesome. So you said you're currently located in Maryland, um, in the Maryland area, but if people were looking to find you online and the private practice and firm that you've now switched to, where would they go to find you? I am now at the law office of Brian K. Gruber. We are physically located in Rockville online. Uh, you can find our website at bkgpc.com. And we have a Facebook page and we're on LinkedIn, um, working on expanding our social media presence. But as practicing lawyers, that is not always our uh, strain. Um, and on the website, you can find our email addresses and all of that good stuff. Um, though we are physically in Rockville, we practice in D.C., um, Maryland, all of the surrounding counties, and as I said, some in Northern Virginia. With everything being virtual, it lets us get a little bit farther as far as where we can practice without having to uh, take a road trip. Right. Perfect. Okay. I'll um, list the website and the social media links in the description so people can find you guys, but that's awesome. I know that virtual has really helped a lot of people get their reach a little further, which is really nice, I'm sure. Yes. It's also nice to be able to represent people who are in the farther away counties, but not have to worry about driving there. Yes. (laughs) That's awesome. Well, if you're ready to hop in to the interview questions, I am. Sure. Let's let's go for it. Awesome. So first things first, what is an education attorney and why would a parent need one? Um, so an education attorney is an attorney who represents parents in all stages of the special education process or other parts of education that are usually related to students with disabilities or suspected disabilities. We might do some work in general education, like a bullying or a school transfer, but for the most part, our representation is based in the student having an underlying special education need that a parent is looking to have the school system support. That can range from your basic IEP meeting. Some parents like to bring an attorney from day one until graduation day to disciplinary hearings, appeals, due process hearings, and appeals of those decisions in federal court. So it can really go from the most simple part of the process all the way through the most complex. Um, As far as why would a parent need one or want one, I would say there's a lot of jargon in special education. It is an alphabet soup. You hear these acronyms thrown at you all the time. And as a parent, you're just sitting there and you're hearing this, but you're not necessarily knowing what all these letters mean. How do they relate to my kid? Am I getting the best advice from the people in the room? So as an attorney, my role is to advocate for the stated interests of my client, but also serve as like a translator and a mediator 
and help smooth the process along so we get from the beginning to the end successfully. A lot of times we do take on a problem-solving role. I don't want to be in litigation unless we have gotten to the point where that is the only way to solve your problem. Right. And it could also take some pressure off of you as a parent. I am emotionally invested in every child whose parents I represent, but I'm not attached in the same way as I am as a parent. Right. So having someone else who could be the the voice of argumentativeness when that's necessary, I think sometimes can take a, a bit of pressure away from the parent. Um, and I think most importantly, within the IDEA, there are specific mechanisms for dispute resolution. And if you do them wrong and you are unsuccessful, you can really set back where you're trying to go for your child, sometimes months or years. Wow. So doing that without professional guidance is really critical. Wow. That is enlightening. I didn't realize all of that. That's kind of crazy. Yes. I wanted to ask you, because I'm trying to think if we've ever actually covered it on the podcast. Can you define what an IEP meeting is just in general? An IEP meeting is your individualized education program, and it is the team that comes together at least once annually to discuss your child's present levels of performance, their goals, their progress, and what changes need to be made for the future. Um, Placement decisions are made annually, so that's where you decide things like hours of specialized instruction, what type of placement your child would be in, if they will be in a supported general education class, if they will be in a special education class, if they would be fully removed from general education into a separate day school or a separate public school setting. Um, The IEP team is made up of the most important person, the parent, and the general educator and the special educator of the child. Their job is to really tell you, how is your child doing individually in the subject matter that that person teaches in their special education goals and objectives. And that's where you're really making the decisions for educational programming. Wow. Okay. Thank you. You had mentioned, you know, all the acronyms that are being thrown kind of like you're a translator. So I wanted to just get that one kind of situated. So people knew what we were talking about. Um, And I'm going to circle back to another thing you said, which was that you don't always have to seek out an education attorney, but it's super important. So when should a parent start to seek out an education attorney? So I would say an attorney can be brought to the IEP process at any time. I have parents who I have represented from pre-K four through the end of high school because their comfort level is I would like a professional next to me who's going to be with me consistently throughout my child's education, even as teachers and professionals change. You don't have to wait for there to be a dispute. It can be a good way to prevent disputes and just keep things moving along. I would say on the flip side, there is definitely a too late moment. If you have written a due process complaint by yourself as mom or dad, and you haven't sought out the guidance of an attorney, I I would not recommend that. You are getting yourself into an array of litigation that is really technically important to do with someone who knows what they're doing. Um, I I think anytime you feel unsure about the process, it doesn't hurt to seek out a consultation and understand how an attorney might work for you or not work for you. So we can really be brought in at any time. But I would say if you're you're sitting there going, I am going to write this lawsuit, that is your too late moment. Stop, (laughs) pause, and get some some advice there. Wow. Yeah. Um, So it sounds like you can basically bring an an attorney into the IEP process at any time. So 
would bringing an attorney into an IEP meeting ever hurt the parent's relationship with the school? I would say generally speaking, it should not. Right. We we have positive working relationships with the schools and their counsel. I I have worked with some of them going back for 15 plus years. Wow. And it's really important that I have a client, my client has a problem. I can pick up the phone to say, hey, we have this problem. How can we start resolving it? So it's important to me that I can work well. And I think we do for the most part with the attorneys on the other side. Um, bringing an attorney can allow for collaboration to occur between people who are not working at the school where a problem might be happening and have a more objective lens. And I think for the most part, I know that I'm in someone's life for a relatively short period of time. They have a problem, they want a solution to that problem, and then they want to not have a lawyer. So it's important that I I don't go into a room, you know, banging fists and screaming and yelling, because when I leave, this is still your, your child and where they go to school and the people you work with. You know, I have three kids myself. I have been in IEP and 504 meetings for them. And that relationship is so critical that I, I do act with caution to make sure that it's not hurt. Um, if there is a true legal dispute, if you're at the point where you're looking at due process litigation, your relationship is less important because you're now at the point where someone is filing actively a due process complaint against someone else. So a negative outcome from that can be so damaging that I worry less about the relationship. And I think these disputes can still be handled professionally, even if you are in dispute. Right. Okay. Let's go, let's start at the beginning and kind of just figure out what are the first steps in this process that we might be going on. (laughs) So if you are seeking special education services for the first time, step one is to contact your school principal and ask that your child be referred and evaluated for special education eligibility. That is usually done in writing. When it's done in writing, it triggers an automatic response. The principal has to act on it. They have to take the necessary steps to either evaluate your child or actively refuse to evaluate and document why. Mm. A lot of parents also get evaluations done privately in the community and get a diagnosis, and then they want to do something with that. So you could also bring a completed evaluation to your child's school and say, I have this evaluation report. It has these diagnoses and recommendations. I'd like for you to consider my child for IEP eligibility. And that would also trigger a response from the school to schedule that meeting. Very cool. So how can an education attorney help in the IEP process other than being the translator? (laughs) I think, well, for the most part, in most of the school districts locally, a parent bringing an attorney leads the school system to either bring an attorney or a supervisor to the table. Um, Sometimes that will lead the school system to take a closer look, look at the needs, look at the data. They want to prevent disputes. They don't want their client to be sued any more than I want my client to be filing a lawsuit. So sometimes that could get a problem-solving process moving forward in a way that's a little bit different than if you're not represented. Um, This also just lets you have someone there on your side who can answer your questions, make sure your voice is heard, and also make sure anything you disagree with is properly documented. I've had many due process hearings where I was the attorney two years after the initial conversation and IEP process started, and the parent was asked, well, way back in that meeting three years ago, did you tell the school that you disagreed with what they were doing? And the parent then is like, 
what do you mean did I tell them? I didn't know what I, I didn't know to disagree. I didn't know that they were wrong. I didn't know that the wrong thing was happening. So in that moment, an attorney says, okay, now, you know, the decision is what it is. And we don't agree with your decision, but we want you to document this point of disagreement. So it's part of the IEP record. So if we need it down the road, nobody can question what happened at this meeting at this moment in time. Wow. That is so important. (laughs) Oh my gosh. That is really cool work to do. Um, So let's jump to what happens if a child isn't found eligible for services in the school. What happens then? So I'm going to back up one step further than that and just explain what eligibility means. To be eligible for special education services, a student has to be identified as meeting one of the 13 identified disability classifications in the IDEA. Um, So those are the things that we most commonly hear of, learning disability, emotional disability, autism, things of that nature. Other health impairment covers ADHD, um, multiple disabilities as if you have disabilities that are so commingled that you can't determine what is the primary cause. And then as a result of that disability requires specialized instruction. So when you meet both of those criteria, then a student is eligible for special education through an IEP. If you disagree with that outcome, the whole world of dispute resolution is open to you. As a parent, you could file a state complaint, request mediation, request due process. And now here's my big but. Um, At the same time, a student might not be eligible for an IEP but that doesn't mean they're eligible for no help and no services and no support. So someone who is not eligible for an IEP might be eligible for a 504 plan. And a 504 plan means that you have a physical or mental impairment that substantially limits a major life activity. What we typically look at in the school system is attention, concentration, learning, reading. It could be for a student who is wheelchair bound and they're substantially limited in walking, but do not have anything that requires specialized instruction. So a 504 plan is more of an access and accommodations document and not a special education document. But for some kids, that can be a reasonable starting point. If you disagree about specialized instruction, but everyone agrees on a 504 plan, having something in place is oftentimes better than than leaving your child with no supports at all. Right. So you can disagree with decision A about special education, but also proceed with a 504 plan and get some supports in place while you continue to work through those disagreements, however you see fit. Right. Okay. The 504 plan is a great option um, that is not an IEP. And so I think sometimes that goes unnoted by parents. Parents don't often know what that is because IEP is such a big buzzword. Yes. And I think a lot of parents get attached to the idea that an IEP is better and an IEP is what I want and what I need. And sometimes that's true, but that doesn't mean that you can't have other things in place that are helpful for your, for your kiddo. Um, For a lot of kids with, you know, ADHD, they need to be accommodated. They don't necessarily require specialized instruction. I think where it really gets difficult is where you see your child struggling And then the school says, but, you know, your kid has really good grades and we don't see how they really need help. And having to tease out that grades are not the be all and end all for our decision making process. You really have to look at all of the data and where where it's trending and look at the type of support that a child needs because of it. Right. So 
talking about IEPs, what if a child already has an IEP, but a parent isn't seeing any progress in their well-being and their grades and things like that? So that is a time and an opportunity for pushback, for pushing back on the school and asking for more data. So you're going to want to know what are they using to track progress? How is it being measured? And what can you show me to demonstrate growth? Though IEP meetings have to be held annually, you as a parent can call one at any time. You don't have to wait for the next year cycle before you come back to the table. So if you see your child isn't making progress, one question is, is there something about the goals that aren't written appropriately? Is there something about the instruction that is not meeting my child's need? Do they need more specialized instruction? Do they need a smaller class size? Do they need a change in placement? All of those conversations are triggered by progress and data. I would say that a sustained lack of progress is a real red flag. And that's something that you should be bringing to the IEP team. And you shouldn't wait for them to bring it to you. If you see this happening for for a period of time, that's when a parent should advocate and request for going back to the drawing board and making changes rather than waiting to see if someone recommends them to you. Right. So my, I think this is my last question for you, but what if um, a parent wants the public school to pay for a private placement because they find that the school isn't really meeting their child's needs? Is that something that you can address? I feel like I address that all the time. So I would say this is an area where it's really important to do it right and have some advice along the way to make sure you're doing it right. So there are a few ways you can get to a private placement. Um, The first is because everyone agrees it's what your child needs. This is the easy way, right? You come to an IEP team and the school says, you know, we've tried everything we have at our disposal. We've put your child in our program here in our school district. And they're still not making the kind of progress we think they they should make. We recommend a change in placement. And the next step is referring to the central office or in D.C., referring to OSSI for a non-public placement. Um, This is, for the most part, the least contentious way to get there. And it is a mutual agreement that it is something the child needs. Um, Another way is through a unilateral placement. And that is when a parent gives 10 days notice that they plan to remove their child from school and place them in a private school and seek reimbursement through the school system through due process litigation. Wow! So this is something that it needs to be done in a procedurally correct manner that complies with the IDEA or you risk having your reimbursement reduced. Um, So Mm -hmm. this is an area where a knowledgeable attorney would be an important part of your decision-making process. And if you do a unilateral placement... For the most part, in order to get your money back, if you will, you're going to have to pursue it through due process um, and either reach an agreement or go through a hearing and have it ordered by the hearing officer. Wow. And then there's kind of one last path to a private placement. Yeah. And that is you're at an IEP meeting, you disagree with the outcome. And you prospectively file a due process complaint or request mediation seeking as relief that the student is placed in a non-public special education day school. And the non-public placement can then either be agreed upon through a settlement or ordered as relief after a due process hearing. So just like the unilateral placement, this is an important thing to do with someone who knows how to get through that process. A due process hearing is like a trial. 
uh, there's an administrative law judge or a hearing officer rather than a judge and a bench and a jury. The formal rules of evidence are not strictly followed, but you have to present evidence. You have to properly disclose it to the opposing party as required by law. You have to call witnesses, cross-examine witnesses, and make argument, cite applicable case law. So that is kind of the most litigious we get and the most argumentative and kind of TV lawyer, if you will, (laughs) in our area of law. So if you are seeking a private placement and you don't have agreement on how to get there, it becomes really a significant legal process. Right. Wow. This has been very interesting because I think sometimes parents know there's a problem, but don't know all the avenues of how to fix it. Um, And that there are people that are literally their job is to be in that parent's corner to help them get through it. So this is awesome to be able to hear all of this. Well, thank you. I think it's important, you know, generally speaking, nobody got into public education to do anything but educate the children who are in their classrooms. And Mm -hmm. they are in it because they want the best for all of their students. But sometimes the best doesn't happen. And sometimes what is appropriate for your child doesn't meet the mold of the box that a classroom structure is. Right. And when those disputes arise or when those concerns arise, even if they're not disputes, it's important to just put it all out there and figure out a way through it that allows your child to make appropriate progress in light of their abilities. And that's kind of what we're all here for. That's awesome. Wow. Well, thank you so, so much for coming on and chatting with us. This has been such an interesting topic to discuss. And I think very important for parents to hear and know who to reach out to, to get aid for going to these IEP meetings and getting um, the appropriate needs met for their child. Thank you again for having me. Of course. Thank you so much to everyone for listening today. Make sure to follow us on your favorite podcasting app, as well as our social media at Reading LL Center. So you know, when we release new episodes, we look forward to seeing you soon. Thanks.